Welcome to the Family Law Now podcast and welcome to our YouTube videos. Today we're going to talk about child support and COVID-19. Our very first podcast was on child support with Michelle Mulchin. You can get some more background detail from that. I thought it would be helpful to bring some experts in and some professionals to talk about what's going on with child support now that people are losing their jobs, what they can expect in the future, what are their options. If you like this video, uh, hit the like button at the bottom. You can share it. You can comment. There's a comment box at the bottom. Leave your comments each week. We're going to do a question and answer video where we're answering everybody's YouTube comments. A little bell will show up at the bottom. You can click that. You'll be notified of videos that we have coming up in the future. Uh, so let's start off with some briefer introductions, who you are, what you do, where you practice. Um, Brian, you're the uh, senior member here. Why don't you uh, take the lead? That just means I'm old, right? That's right. I'm Brian Galloway. You're, you're vintage, right? Uh, yeah, it's a good vintage, I hope. Um, I'm uh, Brian Galbraith. I'm the owner of Galbraith Family Law, and uh, we have a law firm in uh, both Simcoe County and Barrie and in York Region uh, in Newmarket. So we have uh, 14 lawyers, and all we do is family law. Right. Thank you. Jennifer, you want to go next? Good morning. My name is Jennifer Reynolds, and I'm a lawyer in Ottawa, and I own a firm called Fresh Legal, and I also offer mediation services there. And we focus on family law as well as child protection. Yeah, and Jennifer, Brian, and I did a, a, a webinar with the Law Society back in 2018, how to use family law to, or how to use technology to improve your family uh, law practice. Uh, we've got a lot of requests uh, to watch that again because everybody's working from home. Just a short announcement that the Law Society of Ontario has re-released that uh, broadcast. It's for free available at their web store. Uh, just throw that out there. Abby Adusi, can you tell us about um, who you are? Um, good morning. My name is Abby Adusi. Uh, I'm a family lawyer. I'm a sole practitioner. I have um, an office in uh, Peterborough and I have another one in Brooklyn. I so, uh, specialize solely in family law. I do collaborative and I do some litigation. Excellent. Thanks for joining us this morning, Abby. Let's do some basic background for our listeners and our viewers. Uh, let's start off with the basics. How is table child support calculated? Abby, you want to take a crack at that? Um, child support is um, calculated based on um, the, the party's income. And the courts would usually, usually look at the, your line 150. Um, or if you don't, uh, and your the line 150 in your income tax returns or your notice of assessment, um, or your T4s, which, which includes all of your incomes pulled together, and um, so that's what it's that's what the court will use to calculate, or that's what we use to calculate. Um, but we use that in conjunction with the child support guidelines, which has been which is online um, and which which we have access to, which will calculate um, how much would you pay based on your income, also based on the number of children that you're supposed to pay child support for. Um, in Ontario in particular, we use the federal child support guidelines, whether or not the parties are married or not married, um, the table and the guidelines is the same. Um, the child support is often adjusted annually because some some people's income 
uh, changes on an annual basis. So what the court says, let's look at your line 150 on an annual basis and see how that uh, changes compared to last year, utilizing the tables. So if your income goes up, it's likely that you will pay a bit more in child support. And if your income goes down reasonably, it's likely that that will be adjusted accordingly as well. That's a great summary. And the guidelines are a chart. So you plug in your income, you plug in the number of kids, and it gives you the figures. Usually when we draft our agreements, um, usually we do the review sometime mid-June of each year. Then clients will have their notices of assessment uh, from Canada Review mm -hmm. Agency, and then they'll have a chance to exchange the information ahead of time. But what do we do about business owners or child support payers who um, write off certain expenses? You want to take a crack at that one, Brian? Yeah, well, it, those are the most complicated cases, in my opinion, because you can write off a lot of expenses legitimately for business purposes, but a court looking at the issue of support might consider them to be a personal expense and bring that money back in. So, for example, if you... Uh, um, you, for example, you might write off your cell phone, $100 a month, 100% as a business expense. But in the reality, you maybe speak to your wife occasionally or your husband or your kids or someone else. So a court might say, well, you know, let's say that about half of that is a business ex expense for this purpose and half is a personal expense. So now they add $50 back into your income on a monthly basis. But uh, they also have to gross that up for the taxes that you would have paid if you'd uh, not claimed it as, a, as an expense. So $50 becomes maybe $75 or $80. Right. So your income is increased by $80 a month, which is what, $960 a year. So they, you know, expenses like advertising clearly don't have a personal benefit to them, but other expenses may have a personal component, meals, things like that. So vehicles, the, maybe. Pardon me? Vehicles, maybe. Vehicles, yes, absolutely. Uh, so it, it, it's always a challenge trying to figure out uh, a self-employed person's income because it's their income that you slot into the chart to determine their uh, child support obligations. Sometimes people have such complicated uh, lives that we actually hire someone, uh, an accountant, to look at their income and determine what it would be for child support purposes. Right, that's great tips. Brian, if you get, let's just say we're gonna add $10,000 back to somebody's income because um, the expense was personal in nature, do we treat it differently for taxes? Well, well, you add, have, for child support purposes, if the, you're adding 10,000 income back, you would gross it up for taxes so the 10,000 income might be considered to be 15,000 or, or 20, you know, 17,000. So you would add 17,000 onto their uh, income that they've declared. And then that's the amount of income you would use to look at the chart to determine their child support yeah. obligation. That's now that, that, that has no impact on uh, your income tax. Right. Uh, you know, the family court does not report you to CRA or any, those are to totally separate worlds. This is right. just for the purpose of doing that calculation. And it's common for many business owners to write off these expenses to reduce their tax liability. Uh, but I guess the point is the court's not necessarily going to consider what you tell Canada Revenue Agency your income is. They're going to look at all these other factors too. Uh, 
the starting what, point. Yeah, exactly. So what about child support payers who underreport income? Maybe they lie about their income or they have a cash business. Jennifer, can I throw that one at you? Absolutely, Russ. So that's pretty similar to the idea of a business owner as well. What we're trying to get at in both of those cases is what is this person's true income? Um, and then we're looking at what's called imputing income to right. them. That's when a judge essentially says, well, yes, your line 150 is $50,000, but for the purposes of this calculation, I'm gonna pretend that your income is 60 or 70 or $100,000. Um, so if people have cash business or they're otherwise perhaps uh, reporting a lower income than they actually have coming in, even somebody uh, who works as a server and has a bunch of tips coming in, things like that, uh, what a judge and what the lawyers would be looking at is that person's lifestyle. Does their spending match up with the amount of money that they're claiming that they make? Right. We might look at a few pre, years worth pre of pandemic that might be, you know, somebody's going on three or four vacations to the Caribbean mm -hmm. here and, and saying they're making $15,000 or something, right? Exactly. Yeah. So the, there's that broad overview of what is their lifestyle? What do we know about it? Um, and what do they do? What are they spending? And then even a detailed review at bank statements and credit card statements for the past few years looking at their financial statements over a period of time during a court proceeding to see if their assets are going up and their debts are not going up, but their budget is claimed to be um, much higher than the income that they have coming right. in. I love those financial statements we see where um, the income's, you know, 20, 25,000, but the expenses are 65,000. No, there's a gap there, right? Yeah, yeah. Their expenses are sixty-five thousand dollars. Their income is twenty-five, but they don't have any debt. That's right, <laughs> or any money to pay child support. Yeah, so we're looking for red flags, and then we're often, again, like a business owner, perhaps getting an expert involved to do an assessment of what would this person need to bring in pre-tax in order to afford the lifestyle that they are affording. Right. And then you gross it up because we want to know exactly. what would a similar support payer have to earn mm -hmm. to get that amount of money cash, right? Yeah. No, that's a great summary, Jennifer. Thanks. Uh, recently, I was talking with the Globe and Mail about um, child access. And this is really a hot issue these days. You know, parents are overholding access. They're trying to change custody orders unilaterally. Uh, using COVID-19, they're complaining about spouses who work in the healthcare system. Lots of these cases are, you know, front and center in the news. I think the next wave we're going to see, because this could last several months, is support payers um, facing the crunch. They've lost their jobs, um, loss of income. They're asked to stay home. Some professionals continue to work from home. Most people cannot. I think the numbers were in the millions in terms of people applying for income support from the government. And that's only going to bridge the gap. Um, currently, I don't know if the court would consider child support urgent. I doubt it. But um, several months from now, they might. Uh, Abby, can you maybe take a, a stab at... Uh, what factors we should be considering when looking at child support during um, the pandemic? Is custody going to be an issue? Um, 
Well, the, the first thing is there are different types of custody arrangements. The first one is uh, a situation called a split custody arrangement where perhaps the parties have um, two, three children, for example, and a parent has, uh, one parent has the one uh, with them full time and the other parent has the other one, the other one or two actually uh, with them on a full time basis. Um, and in, in doing that calculation, as we indicated with respect to the tables, the, we look at the incomes of both parties and determine if party A has one child um, and party B has two children, how much support would they pay to each other? Um, so that's the first one. The second one is a shared custody arrangement where the children reside with um, the parents um, or at least one parent more than 40% of the time. Again, in that respect, both parties' income will come into play in calculating the support arrangements. And then the, the, the final one is a sole custody where the children reside with one, per, one party primarily um, and um, visit the other. Of course, the, the, the person with whom the children reside primarily will be receiving full support um, from the party who um, does not have the children full time, or at least less than 40% of the time. Um, sorry. So, so if it's a shared parenting arrangement, then we would set off the support, right? It's not going right. to be the full table amount. That's right. So it would be with the shared parenting um, amount, uh, situation rather, if, for example, if party A um, is supposed to pay um, I don't know, say $100, uh, let, let's say $1,000 a month, and party B is supposed to pay, to pay $1,500 a month. The net effect is that one, one party will receive $500. Right. And that's, that's how that calculation will work. So the support that we will be talking about at that point would be the $500 net that would go from party A to party B. So the language the lawyers use is what we call a section nine set off. That's right. the section of the guidelines that talk about that. Mm -hmm. So if you have a drop in your support, your income because of the pandemic, what I understand you're saying, Abby, is you're gonna to need to consider the custody arrangement and whether there's a set off and maybe look at the other parents' income as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Because as we said in, in initially, um, Yes, child support is on an annual basis. The amount you pay is on an annual basis. But if there's a drop in one party's income, you would have to look at what was your income during that period. Um, if your income has dropped, then should you now pay uh, 200 instead of 500? Or should you pay anything at all? Um, I think the unfortunate thing we have at this time is that if there's an order for custody uh, and there's a child support um, order in place, um, what do we do in this period? Which is what you're alluding to, uh, Russell, um, we don't have the pot, we, don't, we can't change that at the moment. You know, that's a great point. And I think, unfortunately, what we may find is both parents' incomes could be dropping, right? Yeah. Uh, if the other parent is losing their job or laid off or on some type of support, uh, the whole pie is shrinking. Uh, so that kind of takes us into our next point, you know, people, there's a concept we sometimes consider, you know, this idea of hardship. You know, I can't pay this $1,000 a month in child support because I don't have $1,000 a month anymore. I lost my job. And then there's also this idea of uh, 
intentional underemployment. It's kind of a fine line, but I think these are kind of going to be arguments we're going to start to see in the next few months. You want to sort of walk us through that analysis, Jennifer? There are two different ideas that we're looking at. One is the concept of undue hardship, where your income hasn't really dropped or changed. Um, you still are making the same amount, but for some reason, um, now paying the table amount of child support would cause you an undue amount of hardship. Right. And in that case, we're looking at your household and all of the income earners and all of the dependents in it versus the other party's household and all of those. And traditionally, um, those cases were hard to run, right? Yes, it exactly. It was a fairly extreme threshold to make an undue hardship argument not to pay child support. Yeah, absolutely. But that might change. I, I'm not sure that it will. I think that um, COVID-19 might impact it. Right. Um, but it will be interesting to see if the uh, court lowers that bar at all, um, or perhaps tries to find some other way to give support payors a bit of relief on a temporary basis. Right. Um, the question of intentional unemployment or intentional underemployment that you raised, it'll also be really interesting to see how that plays out because what we're looking at there is, is a payor um, or in a shared custody situation, maybe the recipient, because we're doing a set off uh, and their income is relevant, are they intentionally unemployed or intentionally underemployed, making less than they otherwise would be capable of? And is it not for essentially a good reason? Is it not for a health reason or an education, uh, pursuing education or taking care of children? Is it something also that's outside of their control? Um, so I imagine that most people whose incomes are dropping at this point, I don't have a lot of control over that situation. Right. Um, but as they re-enter the workforce, um, are they able to enter at the same level? Um, do they have to enter at a lower level? And is the recipient going to try and argue that they have some sort of control and that they're intentionally unemployed or intentionally making less than they otherwise could, um, or will we see um, COVID-19 being um, a, sort of a, not a convincing argument, but it, an acceptable, accepted reason why somebody's making less than yeah. they otherwise would be capable of? I guess the one point just on that issue is um, we are seeing people take a leave of absence. There's work available. They just choose not to do it. They want to be home or they don't want to put themselves at risk. Um, or there's lots of reasons. Maybe they need to care for family members. So it'd be interesting to see how that analysis plays out as whether or not uh, that's intentional unemployment because the, the guidelines state you have a duty to maximize your income if you mm. require to pay child support. Right, but we also have that um, tension of the intentional under unemployment really only kicks in um, if there isn't a good reason. So if I right. believe the phrasing is around due to health reasons or education or caring for uh, dependents. So um, if you can successfully argue that you needed to do one of those things, perhaps you won't be facing an un un intentional unemployment claim by the other person and an imputation of income. Um, so there's going to be some some complex cases around. Yeah, you can argue it both ways, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, that's a great summary. Yeah. Uh, I think another thing we need to do is consider the need of the basis of the child support. You know, is it voluntary? Is it court ordered? Is it a domestic contract? 
Is it a separation agreement? Then also we need to look at the terms of the child support agreement. Is it subject to review? When are the review periods? Um, the agreement or the order might actually say if there's a loss of income. Usually something, we see words like if there's a change of income, you need to notify your spouse within so many days. Uh, that could be, usually it's designed if the income goes up, but sometimes it's designed, it could be used if the income's going down as well. Um, does the court order or agreement list what a material change would be? Uh, and this concept of material change is a legal concept that's got a lot of case law surrounding it. Um, obviously, I think this pandemic is clearly a material change. Unless you entered into your child support agreement during the pandemic, nobody really foresaw this coming. Um, but I think generally these cases are going to be driven by the facts of each case. Um, the general starting point is uh, you pay child support based on your income. The question we're going to have over the next several months are, you know, when do we do the review? Um, would a court step in to deal with child support? And um, what's the income, really? Uh, what should we say your income is? We've seen these examples in non-pandemic times of small business owners and and uh, cash businesses where uh, income has always been an issue and it may continue. But we're always talking about going to court. What are the options to deal with child support and changes to the support payer's income? Uh, not just court, but there's other options too. Brian, you want to maybe do some analysis here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before the pandemic, about 75% uh, of our cases were not going to court. We were always involved in negotiations and helping people resolve it without going to court. And so uh, we're, this is not new territory for us and, and nor for the, the uh, you three people too. I know you're also involved in uh, negotiations. So there's way, several ways that people can reach an agreement. And that's what you need to do at this point is try to reach an agreement. So you can do it on your own. We call that the kitchen table where the two parties come to an agreement, then they come to their lawyer and we, we put it in proper uh, legal writing form. Yeah, we've all seen that, Brian, eh? They found this thing on the internet, right? That uh, <laughs> they want enforced. Right. So, you know, and sometimes they get it right, but a lot of the time uh, they get it wrong. And that's why they need to come to a lawyer and, uh, and get us to review it and make sure that it's done in a way that's legally enforceable. There, there's also mediation that's being done now by way of Zoom. So if you and your spouse or partner are unable to come to an agreement, you'll get stuck. That's normal. Then you go to a, a neutral third party who helps you uh, negotiate uh, an agreement. So mediation is like someone assisting you to negotiate an agreement. And then once that agreement is finalized, you work with your lawyer to put it in proper form and file it appropriately. That's a great tip. And Brian, and there's lots of mediators working now remotely online available to absolutely. help people. Yeah, absolutely. A mediation by Zoom or whatever uh, video conferencing platform yeah. works very, very well. Another um, process that works well is uh, collaborative practice. And that's where both parties have a lawyer and you work together uh, to come to an agreement that meets the needs of both parties. So collaborative practice is a great agree uh, process as well. So there's lots of, uh, and just straight negotiations. Sometimes 
you, you just need to go to a lawyer who will analyze the, the case and uh, put together a, a well-worded, reasonable letter uh, to the other side who takes it to their lawyer. And that's the advantage of working with a lawyer is you have an objective third party who knows what the law is and can help you uh, resolve the conflict. That, I mean, that's what we do every day is help resolve these sorts of conflicts. Yeah, collaborative practice, I think, is new to a lot of our listeners and a lot of our viewers. Um, we focus on goals and interests, and I suppose, Brian, you can come up with a result that's different than the guideline amount. You can create whatever agreement you want. Yeah, the, the, that's one of the advantages to uh, these negotiated settlement processes is that you can uh, come up with uh, an innovative uh, agreement that works for your family. Right. Yeah. Great stuff. Thanks for the tip. All right. So we're all going to get clients coming to us over the next few months and saying, I've lost my job. Can I go to court to deal with child support right now? Jennifer, what's your take on this question? Uh, well, firstly, I would um, repeat what Brian said, that ideally we're exploring options like negotiating, going through mediation, going to collaborative law. Um, like Brian, a large part of our practice is based outside of court, but sometimes you do have to go to court. Sometimes you have no choice. You're um, running up against an impasse. You're not able to reach an agreement. The issue that we're facing right now and for the foreseeable future is that our access to the courts is become limited. The courts, courts are, are still, still open, right? They're still open. And, and I think it's really important that that um, message be sent that our courts are not closed, but they are triaging a lot of matters. And what they're doing is they're only hearing motions that are found to be urgent. They're also dealing with case conferences, which is the first step in a case on a limited basis. If it's urgent, if there's just a couple of issues that can be dealt with. Um, in Ottawa, I believe they're also dealing with some settlement conferences. If there's a good chance that the case will settle, they'll do a limited settlement conference as well. So when you say triage, I think of that TV show MASH, right? You're getting all these cases coming in, but you only have a handful of doctors in this case, judges, and not every case can be heard right away. Yeah, we have a limited number of uh, resources available right. to us. So the first question is that a, a triage judge will look at on a written basis, um, and perhaps with some limited oral hearing or arguments by phone um, about whether or not this is an urgent situation. And right now what we're seeing is cases that have to do with health and safety of children or really dire financial circumstances. Um, we haven't yet seen a case where somebody has asked to uh, change or vary child support um, on an urgent basis. I believe there was, there was one and they weren't successful, but it was a very small change. It was right. um, in the double digits, right? So as people's incomes change more drastically um, and as those support numbers become more drastic, we may start seeing some urgent cases, um, but I imagine there's going to be a big push still to try and deal with those things outside of court. Yeah, if, just, you have, if you have a court order and you, you come to an agreement to change it, I believe you can do that by what we call the 14B motion. So mm -hmm. if you can make those changes to court orders uh, without actually having to have a hearing uh, if they're done by consent. Is that not right? Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. So the courts are... Might, yeah, I think it yeah. might depend on some jurisdictional issues too. Um, different jurisdictions are accepting non-urgent matters. Some of them will accept a consent um, 
document that everybody has said okay to, but it might not be at the top of a judge's pile to sign off on it. And then what we run into is, is the Family Responsibility Office still enforcing the prior order? And that might be where the urgency lies. Yeah. If the uh, Family Responsibility Office is garnishing your bank accounts or taking away a driver's license or taking a large amount off your paycheck and your paycheck has dropped significantly, right. um, that's where urgency might come up. Yeah, and just for our listeners and viewers, the Family Responsibility Office is the government agency in Ontario that enforces court orders and separation agreements that are filed with it. And they do that in a number of ways, as uh, Jennifer has described. Even in non-pandemic times, it could be difficult to get the Family Responsibility Office to add or change an order if it's on consent. So, yeah, that's a great point, Jennifer. Thanks. So, Abby, um, child support, is this going to meet this test that we're talking about, that urgency test that Jennifer just described? Um, at the moment, not no. Um, at the moment, the, the courts are, it, it, it's not meeting the test at the moment because it's not considered as urgent. Then the courts are currently looking at health, um, dire access issues. There, there are stringent conditions which the court would allow um, uh, in, um, uh, an urgent motion or even a case conference, certainly in our jurisdiction at this point. Um, but as, you, as uh, Jennifer had alluded to earlier on, there might come a time where this might become an, an, an issue um, that might satisfy the test, um, especially given the fact that quite a number of people have gone on to the CERB um, where they're only receiving such limited amount of money. And if, if we use this example earlier on, if your child support payment is 1500 and you're a month and you're receiving $2,000 a month in CRB, there will be a significant hardship. So it may come a time where um, that might become, that, that test might be relaxed and we can bring motions to the court or for, for that. Um, at the moment, not yet. Um, so, so just on that point, Abby, let's just say we get back to court, back to normal uh, optimistically in September and your client has overpaid child support by several months uh, and can demonstrate that. Uh, is the court gonna adjust that somehow, retroactively or otherwise? I think so. I think it makes sense to bring um, uh, an application or, or a motion to the court to adjust the child support payments on an annual basis going back, um, um, certainly from the period when the COVID-19 started. And if the um, payor is paying through the family responsibility office and his income is being garnished, um, it would make sense to ensure that the, re the, the order is changed retroactively to the date that um, the client potentially started receiving CERB so that his obligation will be calculated on a, re on a retroactive basis. And, and if he has overpaid or maybe there's been an over accruement of the payment and that can be adjusted accordingly. Um, so the payer is going to get a credit for that overpayment to be, and that can be applied to future obligations. Future, or even reduce the ongoing accrual, the calculation that uh, family responsibility continuously calculates that involves, that might bring that down significantly um, um, because it may, be, it may well be on a realistic level that they can't collect how, however much the uh, support is 
if the support is 1500 and the income is 2000 there's a um uh, there's a mandate that the family responsibility will not collect more than 50 percent of your income so they might not be able to collect more than a thousand anyway and then they would accrue that he continuously owes five million on a monthly basis and that would be obviously eliminated or taken care of on a retroactive basis when a new order comes on that's that's a good point they're going to adjust for what they collected not necessarily what should have been paid and likewise, I think if a payor uh, unilaterally changes their payment and it's found that that was um, incorrect or that they reduced it too much, um, a payor may be found to need to top up um, if they were paying, say, 1200 a month and they should have been paying fifteen. dollars they could be found to have to top up that extra $300 retroactively as well. That's a great point, Jennifer. If it was a voluntary payment and the person just stopped doing the e-transfers, they're mm -hmm. giving it the checks and there's going to be an adjustment upwards. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and it, it yeah. needs to be remembered, though, that um, the support, uh, the child support paid is based on an annual basis. So if from January to March, you have your good income and then, you know, maybe we go back in September, you start to accrue your good income as well. It would, your support obligation will be based on the annual income. Um, it's not to be suggested that your income, uh, your support obligation will be based on the $2,000 you received right. in the CRB. It would be calculated on, on the annual amount that you receive for the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of nuances that go into the analysis. That's a great tip, Abby. And we're seeing in some of the case law where courts are saying, are, are signaling that they're gonna do a retroactive adjustment at a later date if we don't consider it to be urgent today. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great tips, Abby. So let's move in. You know, this has been a great discussion this morning. I wanna thank everybody for joining us. Um, I'm just remind our viewers and our listeners that you can like this, uh, this uh, audio or video, you can share it, you can make a comment in the comment box below. We'll endeavor to answer all the questions that we get. But let's get some final thoughts from uh, our guest speakers today. Um, Brian, you wanna start off? Well, the thing is that um, it's, it's a challenging time for people and, and we all need to be patient with each other. And, and you know, if, if you're going through some negotiations with your, your ex-spouse or part, ex-partner and, and you get stuck, don't, don't let it escalate. You know, just talk to a lawyer or some uh, divorce professional who can help you get these things resolved. Because they're, for us, uh, this is the kind of work we do every day. And we can help people work it out so that you don't have this on your plate as well as having to cope with the pandemic. We'll get it resolved and so you can move on. Yeah, and the courts are actually telling family professionals and lawyers, uh, they have a, their, their courts are leaning on us to get the, these issues resolved. Absolutely. Two experienced lawyers should certainly be able to figure out what the change in child support should look like going forward. It's a great tip, Brian. Jennifer, any concluding comments? Well, um, flowing from what Brian said in the issue or focus on getting things resolved, what I would say is to support payors. This is an incredibly stressful time. And when we're under stress, it can be easier to ignore the situation than to deal with the situation. Um, and the problem may become bigger. 
So I would urge people not to sort of close their eyes to it or to put it aside to make sure they're making every effort to meet their support obligations or to seek out a change and to be mindful of whether uh, support payments are being paid as they have been in the few, in the past. Um, I believe I read somewhere that the CERB, the FRO may not be um, garnishing that. So where you may have expected FRO to garnish from your paycheck and everything was automated, right? So many things in our lives are automated these days. You may need to make an active payment to the recipient. So take a look, make sure that your support payments are being made. And if you can't afford it, reach out for help and try to get on top of it um, before the conflict becomes worse. The good, the good thing about that strategy too is um, at the end of the pandemic, you're not going to be behind the eight ball with a large payment Absolutely. you can't afford or budget going forward. Yeah. Great tips. Abby, any uh, concluding comments? My concluding comments or final words would be to the recipients um, of support. Um, these are hard times. These are unplanned, unprepared times. And um, just urging the recipients to be mindful of the fact that the payor might just simply not be able to make the payments and try and work together. Um, it's very easy to be stuck in our own um, in our own world to say this is what I'm entitled to. This is, and these are certainly challenging times. So be patient, um, be understanding, and try and work together. Yeah, great tips, Abby. The other analysis we haven't really got into is because we're fo so focused on the guidelines this morning. You know, the court's also going to want to consider the best interests of the child, mm -hmm. uh, always when it comes to child support. I agree that the trends uh, currently, um, as we're doing this, um, this recording in April of 2020, is that child support is not likely going to be considered an urgent matter. In requests to change, it will be dismissed by the courts. Uh, with, the, with the footnote that any adjustment later could be done retroactively. However, if the economy worsens and non-essential businesses remain closed for several months, I think you're going to see an escalating demand to deal with issues of child support in the financial crisis. Um, Abby makes a good point. We need to be mindful of support recipients as well during this uh, they're experiencing challenges as well, and they're also trying to provide for their children. The sad thing, I think, will be there's going to be no winners or losers in any of this. Um, both payers and recipients are likely going to be unhappy. But I think everybody's tips to try to work it out um, with your spouse or through a mediator or using a lawyer are great ones. And as I indicated earlier, certainly... Uh, the lawyers we have on this morning and many others can easily work at a child support solution uh, to get um, families through the next several months. So I want to thank everybody for joining us this morning. This is a really important topic for a lot of families. Uh, I want to thank our listeners um, for tuning in and our viewers for watching us on YouTube. Be safe, everybody, and thank you. <laughs>